changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. And today I am so honored to have on as a guest the actress, singer, and writer Melanie Chardoff. Melanie is a new member of the Chicken Soup for the Soul family because she wrote a story for a new book that we have coming out next week on Tuesday, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family. And it's not really about crazy people. It's about those wacky, lovable family members that we all have. So, Melanie, thank you so much for being part of Chicken Soup for the Soul now and for coming on the podcast today. I'm thrilled, Amy. It's great to be here and amongst these crazy, wonderful families we all love. That's right. Well, Melanie's career began very early in her hometown, New Haven, Connecticut, where she appeared in productions at Yale University and at the wonderful Long Wharf Theater. She backed up the Renettes and the Crystals as a wholesome go-go girl for Phil Spector. She has appeared in lots of Broadway and off-Broadway shows. You may have heard her on the animated series Rugrats. She's the voice of two of the characters, and she's also appeared in many TV shows. And you have seen her on Fridays, The New Heart Show, Married with Children, Seinfeld, Wise Guy, Ali McBeal, Parker Lewis, Can't Lose, the animated Jumanji. She also co-hosted What's Not with Fred Willard, and she was on the Dick Clark special, Where Are They Now? You've also seen her on late night talk shows. And besides being an actress, writer, and singer, she is also an environmental inventor. During the last drought in LA, she patented a recycling device called the Gray Way Rotating Drain, which directs used filtered shower water to irrigate gardens and to flush toilets. She's also the creator and director of Charismatizing Improvising Seminars, and we're going to talk about those later. And she's also a recent first-time newlywed and stepmom. So she now has brothers-in-law, son-in-law, and two terrific kids who are 20-somethings. So Melanie, before we start talking about your story in My Crazy Family, what are you working on right now? I'm just trying to absorb everything you've said that makes me sound so important. Thank you for all that. My goodness, you do your homework. Um, Well, right now I am in a show here in Los Angeles, a very limited run uh, that I helped to write. And it's about the metaphor of crossing the Red Sea, which is a Jewish tale about Moses leading his people out of darkness and into a scary new world. And all the stories, including the one I've written, are about that sort of symbolic leaving behind the familiar and venturing with courage and a sense of humor into the unknown. So we'll be doing that in Southern California and Northern California for the next couple of weeks. Well, I love that because we just did a book called Step Outside Your Comfort Zone, and I'm passionate about that now that I'm 60, about how we have to keep doing new things and making sure we don't fall into a rut of the familiar routine. And so I love the fact that you're talking about doing scary new things. Yes, it is scary at first until you get comfy there and then you have to face the next scary new thing. And for me, it was um, this is my first book in which I will be actually in print and published with a binding and other gifted writers. So I'm absolutely thrilled. I've been a fan of the books for years. I'm a fan of the book I'm in. I was uh, gifted with a manuscript early to peek through. And there's so many hilarious stories, some Norman Rockwell-esque, some more eccentric and wacky like my own, but it's a terrific, you know, family to be part of. So thank you. 
I was just so excited when I saw that you had submitted a story and then the editors who chose your story didn't even know, you know, oh, we just chose a story by a very well-known actress. It just appeared. I received, I don't know, hundreds of semi-finalists to read and there was your story. How did you learn that we were collecting for this book? I think I'm part of a, a submission uh, guideline uh, newsletter that comes out with interesting places to take your work, some of which I fit into, some of which I don't. But I felt that I was a good fit for this particular edition because I come from a long line of very eccentric people. Don't we all? And in the story that I wrote that I was fortunate enough to have included, it's about the lingering passage of my poor father. And it took all the time that he was on his deathbed for us to find the way to forgive and love each other again. So it's a bittersweet story, but there's a lot of humor in it. Well, let's talk about that story, because I thought that it was a great story and it was all about your father's fortitude. And then it was about forgiveness, which is such an important topic and such a great way to free yourself from any kind of resentments and move forward. Your father had a secret, something that you didn't learn until he was actually on his deathbed. Yeah, I was informed by the hospice workers that my father had had a bout of rheumatic fever in the Air Force when he was only 18 or 19, which permanently damaged his heart. And I had always, and my family, in the media family, had always blamed his temper for his heart ailments and his lack of contentment with his life and with us. It turned out it was just a defect in his heart, and we were all kind of victims of his ventricles. And it wasn't his fault or my fault for infuriating him. So it was quite a moment, quite a transition for me to learn that he kept a, a secret to protect us. He could have gone at any time, but he, he hung in until he was 73 out of stubbornness and love and an appetite for food, which was his family heritage. He was brought up in a delicatessen in New Haven. And food was wealth. And weight was uh, also a sign of wealth. So eating till you were sick was a good thing for his family. I guess that it was a great way to say, yes, we were refugees at one point, but now we've made it and we have plenty of food. And it was, way, it was a way to reject the pain of the past. Yes, absolutely. His family, of course, suffered. And of course, the birth of my sister and me was a great celebration uh, there was no need to be, you know, build a basket made from reeds and set it out on a river. There was no fear in the immediate America that they lived in. And it was quite a triumphant time that I was born into. Yeah, I think I've never really thought about that, about the relief from knowing that you're bringing children into a world where they're not going to be potential victims, but bringing them into a world where you know they're going to be safe. Yes, and I hope we can continue to keep our immediate world safe. And I, and if we can't, I'm glad we have Chicken Soup for the Soul to lighten up the moods. Yes, people are telling us that Chicken Soup for the Soul has been very helpful to them in these recent times. And I know you've been enjoying reading some of the stories in this book. You, you wrote me an email and you told me that you've been reading a story every night and it's just a really nice thing to do before you go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Scheherazade and A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. I read one of these stories a night and it definitely gets me in a, a sedated mood for, for a peaceful sleep. I turn off the news. I turn off CNN. I throw the newspapers away from my bed and I have a chicken soup at the top of the pile. <laughs> so I I know that you mentioned a story that 
I just burst out laughing when I originally read it. And so I immediately chose it to go in the book. And that's that story called That Crazy Squirrel Lady. Yeah, apparently there was this family that had a baby squirrel that adopted them, ran up the sleeve of one of their children and just seemed to, you know, align itself with this family. And they didn't have to heart, the heart to put it out. Every time they tried to release it into the wild, it asserted that it was thoroughly domesticated. And the mom of the household apparently liked to climb up her arm and nest on her hair, on her on her crown of her head. And when she'd answer the door, the squirrel would run up her arm and land on her head with the tail sometimes landing, brushing across her face while she was talking to people. And she would make no mention of it and um, treat it like it was the most normal thing in the world, which it was for her family at this point. And people at the door would be stunned and surprised. So I, that just tickled me, the idea of that kind of Davy Crockett hat on her head that was alive, waving its t- tail around. I just thought that was a hilarious picture. I did, too. It was so funny. The writer was Heather Roden, and she said that she had gotten this new, I guess it was a minivan delivered to her. And then she called up the dealer and she said, you delivered it to me, but you didn't give me the key. I have no key to turn it on. And so they came back. And then she was terribly embarrassed because it turned out she was trying to use the key to her old car to start her new car. But the whole time she was talking to the guy from the dealership and he's standing there in her door looking at her. There's this squirrel on top of her head and she's not even paying any attention to it. And he's just flabbergasted. I thought it was hysterical. Yeah, he didn't ask and she didn't explain. There's another wonderful story, again, a comical story about um, a man marrying a family he knew's um, wife uh, after the passage of his best friend, her husband, years later, and how he had to infiltrate and, and wean his way into their hearts as their new stepdad and how it slowly came about that was really touching and humorous. And as a new stepmom myself, um, who's been pretty much widely accepted because I played the mother on the Rugrats, luckily. It's been a really wonderful lesson, you know, reading some of these stories about uh, step-parents finding their way into the hearts of families and even into the original wives and the Aboriginal kids. Yeah, there's that one called My Two Grandmas that's right after your story where... Yes. Um, yeah, this this woman, she was getting a divorce and her her two grandmas who she was dealing with separately, all of a sudden came together because one had been the first wife of her grandfather. And then one many years later had become the second wife. The first wife resented the second wife, even though they had been years apart. There was no illicit carrying on. It was just a completely innocent new marriage, but she continued to compete and resent. And it took years for the the second wife, the second grandma to tame the first Yeah. And then they decided that they would come together to support their shared granddaughter and help her through her own divorce because they had both been divorced. And I thought that was such a sweet story. And forgiveness is a really big topic for Chicken Soup for the Soul and something that I hadn't really understood the importance of until I started reading tens of thousands of stories from people like (laughs) you who are talking about forgiveness and how they were able to move forward in their lives after experiencing it. Yeah. My dad was a tough one. He had a sharp tongue, very funny guy. I mean, black comic, even to the end. But um, yeah, he was a tough nut to crack. And we both reached really deeply uh, in those last weeks. And I'm so relieved that we did have those very tender moments together of love, despite being mad at each other for 30 years, that we loved each other very much. Yeah. You said in your story that at the very end, you said, I love you, daddy. 
And he whispered back, I always loved you, kid. Even when you were mad at me, I always loved you. And I'm, that must have been such a big deal for him to say to you. Yeah, it was a big deal for both of us. I think we were both pink-eyed and, and holding each other's hands really tightly. It was great. And then, of course, I was able to write a much more loving eulogy uh, for his funeral, which is about how um, his particular section of the cemetery was crowded with other family members who had all had cholesterol issues. And um, it was such a crowded area with chart-offs that you had to take a number and wait in line to get in. Uh-huh. like what they the had deli. to do in my dad's deli. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's great. That must have been one mm. of those funerals where people were laughing despite themselves. Yes, it, it was. Well, I love the fact that you talked about forgiveness because what I always say is that a lack of forgiveness is like wearing a heavy cloak. And when you try to get through life wearing that heavy cloak that has you know lack of forgiveness sewn onto it, you can't move forward. And if you can forgive, you can just shrug your shoulders and that cloak will drop behind you. How did your life change when you had this, this new version of your father to remember? Did that change your life going forward? Yes, I preferred to remember the loving daddy and the daddy I deified when I was a child. He was a god to me when I was a little girl. It wasn't until I developed an opinion, you know, later on in my tweens and teen years that we began to come to uh, disagreements so often. But my, the father of my childhood and the father of those last days was a pretty wonderful guy, really fun, really great cook, uh, a doting dad, and he was very, very proud of me. So those are the things I chose to remember. So another thing we talk about a lot, it's another theme we see constantly, and this is really a different topic, but I know it's an area where you have a great expertise, is people who have learned to not be so shy. And a lot of people write about how shyness was really holding them back in their lives. And then they somehow found a way to not be shy and it dramatically opened up their lives. And I know that you have a program, right, to help people become less shy? I do. I I have two different programs. One is called School for the Shy. And I work with introverts, uh, some people who are acculturated by their Asian or or Latina cultures to be... um, introverted or quiet or muted. And I do exercises, usually improvisational exercises and acting exercises to help people feel more playful in engagement and less at risk, less judged. Um, And I've had a lot of success. I also coach people one-on-one on Skype, working with people, politicians, journalists who have to make public appearances. And I'm working with a very um, introverted young man right now who's graduating from a prominent business school and needs to enter the financial world for interviews in the coming months and is terrified by those sorts of engagements. And we have found an intervention so that he can make eye contact with people with complete courage. So I have different unique techniques that I use with every person. I don't have a cookie cutter approach, but I find that improvisation in my classes and in my coaching online which we do every day, even in this conversation, Amy, we're improvising all the time. Um, It's a skill set that really helps people create a persona for themselves. They can go out and deal with the public, if only temporarily. They can always retract that persona and go back to their introspective selves. But this is a temporary persona. And with my acting, singing, and dancing background, I can give people physical and mental exercises to make that change for themselves. It sounds like a book that you should write. 
to help people step by step get over being shy. I've been told that there are a lot of people who are writing books about it. I think uh, Amy Cuddy has written a book about power poses. She's been debunked by a lot of people, but I myself find that if I deploy her technique of raising your arms in the air over your head or putting your hands on your hips like Superman or Wonder Woman, there is an adrenaline flow that uh, picks up a bit and gives you more courage and, and energy in the moment. And getting acclimated to that before you have an engagement, a high-stakes engagement, can be really, really helpful. So I recommend her TED Talks and her books. And um, thank you for that. I will someday write a book about this, about all my adventures with the shy. All right. So let me ask you, this is a question, since you're in the public eye so much. That Wonder Woman pose, which you definitely see actresses and other celebrities taking, I thought that they put their hands on their hips because that way their arms would look thinner. So are they doing the Wonder Woman pose for that or to make themselves stronger? We weren't thinking about vanity, but, you know, that is very possible, Amy. Good for you. Yes, when you have your arms pressed to your sides, which is something a lot of introverted, shy, brainiac, screen-addicted people do, you make your arms look fatter. It's true. So vanity is a great incentive. I've started trying to be like the end person in a line of people and put my hand on my hip, and it's really just to make my arm look thinner. (laughs) (laughs) that's a good idea but you can also put your hands you know up in the air like a broadway singer and that really gives you a lot of energy um or do a ballet pose but the different porta bra can also give your body energy uh putting your feet up on your own desk gives you kind of an extroverted energy so all these postures are recommended you could do them in the bathroom in the inner the inner sanctum of the ladies room stall or the men's room stall before you have to go into an important meeting but i have lots of other tricks that I I promote uh, to help um, the Shire folks come out of themselves, if only temporarily. Well, for everybody who's listening, if you want to get some more tips from Melanie, you can go to her website, which is MelanieChardoff.com. And from there, you can find out more about her charismatizing, improvising business and how to learn not to be shy. Plus, you can learn all about her career, see video clips. You can also look at her Wikipedia article, which has a lot of great information about her. Melanie, thank you so much for being in the chicken soup for the soul family, for being in our latest book and for joining us today on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure, Amy. Great to talk to you. And for everybody who's listening, you can go to our website, chickensoup.com. You can click on the podcast button and you can see Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family, featured there. Come back Monday for our next episode, which is going to be about people overcoming their shyness. I decided we would talk about that next in honor of Melanie's appearance on the podcast today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.